Those with a drive to go have an undeniable calling. They are not content to simply have a transformative idea. They want to create and build. They want to wrestle challenges to the ground and bring solutions to scale. They are makers and doers. They are go-getters. Go-getters features straight-up conversations with leaders on the forefront of change who are taking action to impact our world, just as Lehigh people have done for more than 150 years. Join us as we explore their challenges, their passions, and what makes them go. Hello, I'm Joe Buck, Vice President for Development and Alumni Relations at Lehigh. Welcome to Go-Getters. I'm here today with Ann Lunas, Executive Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer for Adobe. Ann graduated from Lehigh in 1983 with a degree in International Relations and Journalism. She is a member of the American Marketing Association's Hall of Fame and was named number seven on the Forbes list of top 50 CMOs in October 2020. Anne remains connected and active at Lehigh. She's delivered our Gruen Lecture, interacts with students through our Lehigh Silicon Valley program, and has hosted Lehigh interns. In 2019, she received our Distinguished Alumni Award for Excellence in Industry. She's also a Lehigh parent. Thank you for joining me, Anne. Thank you for having me, Joe. And I didn't know you were going to give out my year of graduation. I wouldn't have joined had I known that. Well, you are an alumna, and, and we're proud of you. <laughs> and, and we wanted to set the proper, the proper context for, for the discussion. Uh, and I've gotten to know you a bit over my time at Lehigh, and I, I am fascinated by, by many things. But uh, what, what interests me most is the way that you have navigated both art and science, right? You uh, were um, uh, an aspiring publisher and writer and found yourself in in technical jobs and into marketing. And I'm wondering if, if we could could start and, and, and kind of carry that narrative through. But going back to to your early life, what what were you like growing up? Uh, well, I am from New York City, so I think that probably says a lot about what I am like. And I went to a very technical high school called the Bronx High School of Science. It's a kind of magnet school. I was not a particularly you know, gifted science or math student, but I, I managed to get in there. And I was always kind of a creative person, writing, singing, drama. And uh, however, I, I always was interested in science, and I, uh, I had an ability, I think, to understand it at enough of a level that I could translate it into kind of consumable uh, language. And so I decided to go to Lehigh, which was the most different place on earth from where I grew up in a very gritty New York setting. And what I liked about Lehigh was kind of the bucolic um, campus, uh, the size, the fact that there was a football team. I never had a football team in high school because I went to a very urban school. And so the whole vibe was very collegiate and, and very appealing to me. And when I got there, I, I really did things I could never imagine. I mean, I was a journalism major. I, I had always been you know, interested in writing, but I uh, joined the Brown and White. I would say that was probably the seminal Thing that I almost have ever done because what, what, what was your beat on the brown and white Anne? I was a features writer yeah 
But I, I got to do interviews with like people like Gloria Steinem who came to campus. And I will tell you, they worked me hard. I was writing every single day. And at the time, they had us in the basement of the UC, which of course is a massive fire hazard, but that's, that's where they put us. And I was pounding away at my typewriter because it was long ago enough that we had typewriters. But I just wrote my, you know, my heart out. And I think that really was what kind of informed my whole career. I was a member of AP, something again I never thought I would do. So tell me about your, uh, outside of, of the brown and white and your sorority experience, were there other activities, internships, things that you remember that were, you know, kind of really important to you when you think back on your time at Lehigh? Yeah, my senior year I did an unbelievably wonderful internship that I got through the journalism department at Rodale Press, which at the time was actually in Emmaus. That was their headquarters. They've subsequently been bought. They're very big publishing house, and I worked on uh, a women's health magazine, which back in the mid 80s was very revolutionary. <laughs> now you would look at it and say, well, of course, right. but back then they didn't really exist. And I had a real job. They didn't have me like making coffee. I mm. was an editorial assistant and I did research and I would call up and do fact checking on articles. And I worked 20 hours a week, like it was a lot. Uh, and I enjoyed every second of it. And I thought, you know, it was like the best opportunity I could ever have had. It prepared me for the workforce. I felt confidence going into getting a job because I had really, you know, worked in a real kind of work setting. And I attribute it all. I mean, obviously, I got the job through the journalism department. I never would have been able to get a job like that. So it was amazing. And I always, always tell students, get great internships. I care much less about what your GPA is than I do about what you've done in a summer or you know, during the course of a year. Well, I'm gonna dig into that a little bit downstream when we get into your, to your work life at Adobe and, and the kind of talent that you look for and what advice would you have for our students. Before we get there, I wanna know how an only child from the Bronx whose biggest step in life was going to Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, ends up in Sunnyvale, California shortly oh, after yeah. graduation. How, can you, could, you, could you share with, with our audience that, uh, that journey? It's something I never could have foretold, <laughs> but I had two sorority sisters, so AP had something to do with this, that were engineers. And they moved out here and uh, I came for a visit and it was a beautiful day and they took me to the ocean. <laughs> and, I, and I should also say that when I came out of Lehigh, the economy was terrible. Mm -hmm. And I, it was really hard to find a job in journalism that wasn't making coffee. And so I really had nothing to lose, just to be honest. So I packed up my stuff and I drove my Honda Civic across the country. Um, seems consistent um, in some of the risks that you've taken or some of the things that you've done done in, in your life. Where did, this, uh, where did this risk tolerance come from? So t tell me, is that, do you work at that? Is it inherent to you? Um, how, how do you view risk taking? Well, I don't work at it, for sure. I mean, if anything, I try to restrain myself sometimes. And I do think, I mean, I do think people are born with that. My parents 
definitely always encouraged me. I was never told I couldn't do anything. And so, you know, I think part of it is nature and part of it is nurture. And, you know, I would say the, the move to California was, it was a huge thing. I mean, it was, you know, moving from New York City, no one ever leaves New York City. And to go 3,000 miles away was a big deal. And then to go work in tech, which I knew nothing about, right. I think was a big deal. And uh, I'm not afraid to do new things. And, and you know, Shanta Noonaran, my boss, says are flag planters. Planters, excuse me. Road builders. And, you know, the world needs both. Yeah. And, you know, a flag planter is not going to get very far without a road builder. <laughs> so, uh, but I like to take risks. I like to make big, bold moves. And not all of them work out. But that's, I think, really my nature. And, and you know, on a proverbial scale of one to ten, how bold was the move to Adobe after 20 years at Intel? That was also crazy. Yeah. I, I had, you know, a very fruitful career at Intel when I joined. It was, again, about a billion dollars. When I left, it was a $40 billion company. So we had meteoric growth there. I had friends. I had a network. I knew how to get things done. But I just felt like I didn't want to only work at one company. And I had been there 20 years. So I got this call from Adobe, which being a creative person, I always had kind of an affinity for. And it was a step up for me. It was a chief marketing officer role. Now, much smaller company. It was like a $2 billion company. But I felt the job was, was you know, a step up for sure. And the nature of the company felt like a good fit. I will tell you when I got there, it was hard. I did not know one person. Mm. And I would go there and it, it was very disheartening to me at the beginning because I didn't know how to get things done. And I didn't have a network, but I, you know, I quickly found, you know, alignment with my peers, my boss, who has been the same boss for 14 years. He and I immediately clicked and we have an incredible trusting relationship. He lets me be a flag planter. And so I've been there 14 years. I mean, I couldn't imagine. And in tech, that is highly unusual. Work somewhere 20 years and then work somewhere 14 years. Yes. You know, most people jump around every two or three years, but I got a good gig at both of those places, so I am still here. And that was 2010 when I've heard you say you, was, you, there was a yeah. big bet that you made, and it was was that bet the, going to subscription uh, yeah. business? That was the, that was the bet. It was two two big bets. The first was taking an extremely successful and profitable, highly profitable business. Our creative products like Photoshop and uh, our document product, which is largely PDF, Acrobat, and moving those from packaged software that you could buy off the shelf to a subscription business that was in the cloud. So rather than take money up front, 500 bucks for Photoshop box, we'll let you pay us 30 bucks a month. So you bring new people in, you're able to give them new technology all the time because we could push out new product, new updates. So we thought this would be a great deal for customers and you get a recurring revenue stream, meaning you don't have kind of peaks and valleys the way you would if you're taking all of your revenue up front. You have a more consistent, stable, and hopefully growth path as you kind of build on that over time. Now, we have grown 
you know, astronomically during that period. And no one foresaw this at Adobe. We may say, oh yeah, we knew it was going to succeed, but honestly, this has been a tremendous experience for all of us because we really took this business that was doing okay. And, you know, we grow 20% plus every year, which is, which is pretty darn good for a 35 year old software company. Can, can you talk about working at this intersection of creativity and tech, which as a um, non-tech person and as a consumer of Adobe and other products, that's how I see Adobe. I hope that's a fair description. That's how I see the company. Like, what, what is that like for you? What, is that, what does that bring for you as the chief marketing officer at that intersection? The economy, it drives everything. And so um, that has you know, changed kind of the course of business and creativity drives everything. And I think in the pandemic, we saw that you know, very clearly as people created like they never have to express themselves, to comfort themselves, to cope with what was happening, to connect with other people. We saw usage of our products, you know, really take off. And I, I feel like creativity is kind of the great enabler. It equalizes everyone. Everybody creates now. They, they post photographs, they make videos, they design. Uh, websites or apps, it's its the normal course, especially for young people, for all your students, that's the way thats the way they communicate. And so creativity and then the ability to measure the impact of that is the way business is conducted now. You're listening to Go-Getters Podcast from Lehigh University, and we'll be back in a minute. Hi, I'm Garrett Linderman, Lehigh Class of 2020, and my voice might be familiar. During my four years at Lehigh, I spoke with thousands of alumni as a caller for the Lehigh Fund. Being a Lehigh Liner taught me how important the fund is to supporting the Lehigh experience, especially the financial aid that I depended on. Now that I'm on my way to law school, I am more than ever aware of the value of my degree and the impact alumni can have through the Lehigh Fund. Please visit give.lu slash go-getter to make your gift today. Thank you. How can artificial intelligence be used to combat human trafficking? What will future finance jobs look like? How do algorithms improve efficiency? If you're looking for insight on current hot topics or just love to learn, join a Mountain Talk. In these 30-minute video chats brought to you by Alumni Relations, a Lehigh expert shares new discoveries and perspectives on challenges facing our world today. Listen live or on demand. Visit gocampaign.lehigh.edu slash engage. We're back with Ann Lunas. Did you always believe, I heard you say a moment ago, that data drives everything? I mean, did, did you always believe that as marketing? Is that a post uh, um, tech revolution side of, of marketing for you? I think data was not the way marketers were typically um, being measured. And I think, you know, you would make a TV ad and you would kind of hope that it worked and that it would drive your business. But the quantitative nature of marketing has completely changed the discipline and completely changed how business is conducted. So if you can measure in real time how a digital ad is performing, how a search term is sourcing revenue on your website, how a video is keeping an audience engaged and increasing the usage of your product, all things that we can do now, 
you have so much behavioral information that can impact the course of how you design a product, the way that you update a product, the way that you communicate to your audience on an ongoing basis. So creativity and data are like attached at the hip now. And I think we saw that early at Adobe and it was just a gift for me because we were in both those businesses. We call our department customer zero because we're always rapidly testing the creative products and we're also rapidly testing and using all the data products so that we can see how marketing is performing across all of our channels. So this was not a, you know, a common way to do marketing, but now I think it has become increasingly common. To the extent that you can share, is there another transformation on the horizon at Adobe? What, what does the next you know, two to three or three to five, I don't know the, the time frame in which you all think about kind of strategic planning, but what, what does the immediate future hold for, for Adobe? And then I want to dig into the pandemic and how you all have managed the pandemic. But, but it, you know, you've, you've been involved in a series of transformations. Is there another one? For sure. I mean, in, in uh, high tech, it's like you either innovate or you die. And so I recently took on responsibility for corporate strategy and M&A, um, which is a completely new area for me. And so... I've been doing strategy for a long time as chief marketing officer, but I think it affords me the opportunity to look even further ahead because, you know, that's that's my job now. Right. And there are certain categories that are emerging that we will obviously, you know, create products and, and hopefully kickstart, whether it's 3D, uh, whether it's um, augmented reality. These are things that may seem kind of gee whiz now, but will be in a few years kind of the norm in terms of you know how marketers and how creatives uh, do their work. So there are things like that on the digital, what we call experience side. Mm -hmm. You know, every single business during this pandemic had to create a digital um, presence. Right. So small businesses, you know, we're going to go out of business unless they created a website, and so. Right. We help you do that. Large businesses had to double down and uh, you know increase their presence online. So that's an opportunity. And in the document side, in our PDF business, you know, digital documents basically were the way people had to do business during this pandemic. It was starting to really happen this paper to digital transformation. Yeah. But signing a contract that has to be done electronically now. And you know, any kind of business documents have to be done digitally now. And I think that's, you know, another opportunity for, uh, for our business, for many businesses to, to capitalize on. And then mobile, I think is probably the biggest trend. Uh, you know, we have not traditionally been a mobile app provider. We have done what we call desktop software, sure. but now mobile is, you know, wildly, a big part of the people who are purchasing our products and want to use our products are, you know, only on their phones in some cases. And in some markets, literally in Asia, you know, the primary device you use every single day for every kind of business is your phone. Is and your so phone. we're developing new applications. We're selling desktop products through mobile apps. And so I think that's another, you know, massive kind of wave. You, you mentioned the pandemic and, and I, 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 I would, I'm curious, you know, as, as, as the CMO of Adobe, as a leader of a, of a large team, what, 
What has the pandemic meant for your work? Well, I mean, we've never seen anything like this before. And I, I think, you know, I'm really proud of, of what we did as a company during this time. So, you know, it's March 2020 and, and, you know, we decide that I think it was March 11th, we're going to shut down all of our offices and we did it in one day, everything completely shut down. We communicated my, my role as head of communications communicate to every single employee that they need to go home and stay home. Employee communications played a tremendous role, just as it did at Lehigh with the student population. You can never communicate enough. You can never comfort or tell people, um, you know, what's happening enough during this time. I think the second thing was the agility that we showed. You know, we had a massive event tens of thousands of people scheduled two weeks after the pandemic struck. We had to literally shut down the event. It was in Las Vegas, the last place on earth you want to be during a pandemic. We put all of the equipment basically into people's homes. We shot everything from home. We had the event. We were expecting 20,000 people, 400,000 people showed up. We um, generously gifted 30 million subscriptions to uh, high school and elementary school students who didn't have access to Creative Cloud at home. Mm -hmm. We canceled all of our advertising because some of it felt inappropriate during that period. So, I mean, we just moved quickly. And I think, you know, the other thing I would just say that, that really was extraordinary to me is the compassion that people showed during this time. I think you know, we were all at home, people were really struggling. Um, you know, there have been serious mental health issues, obviously, um, you know, rampant among employees, among students, etc. And that I think, we really address that with a lot of emphasis on meeting with employees, wellness programs, we set up everyone with an office setup, we gave everyone $500, go put an office together that will be comfortable for you. So we really took care of employees. And I think people remember that. They feel like Adobe really did a good job and they feel like this is a company that cares about them. Let me circle back to something you said earlier about uh, talent and I'm going to roll two questions into one. You know, what do you look for in talent? And, and therefore, what would you tell Lehigh students to, 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 to focus on and what matters for, to, to them and to you? This may be surprising, but I think we look for kids that have more life experience and work experience as opposed to mere coursework and GPA. I think in some areas, maybe in some of the more technical fields, you need to have required coursework. But I feel like, you know, looking at what this person is like uh, is more important. and we put a lot of merit into what we call fit Mm -hmm. and fit is how are you going to actually fit into this culture? What kind of person are you? Are you a collaborative person? Are you the kind of person that's going to go the extra mile? Uh, And, and those things are actually more important to us than, you know, what class you took and, you know, if you got a B rather than an A and their life skills and their spit. That's the most important thing. And, you know, I'm a big proponent of Lehigh interns. And 
I, you know, I made a promise to Jack Lule that every year I'm going to take a journalism student because I want to give the opportunity to a student to uh, have, you know, a great work experience. I also think, and I'll put in a plug as I always do, that everybody, every young person should live in California at some point in their lives. And I know California seems like, you know, going to the moon when you live on the East Coast, but you will have a very different experience. It's a different place. And I honestly think it, it shaped me. I'm not saying you have to stay forever, but I do think when kids come out here and work here, they have a very unique experience, not just working in tech, but living in California. And would so, you say the, would you say the same for kids who grew up in California? They should live in New York for some period of time. No, all kids who grew up in California should come home, including uh, including your two. I, I I knew you were going to say that. Um, is there any specific slant on the previous advice for students that you would give to? Uh, young women. I know you care deeply about women causes, and and I want to ask you about your 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 affection for women filmmakers and and Sundance. But what what would you tell young women uh, students at Lehigh that might be listening to this? I am a big proponent of women, and you know, in my industry in particular, it's it's very um, the the ratio of female to male employees is is abysmal. At Adobe, we're about 35% female and 65% male. And actually, that's tremendously better than it was when I came here. And in technical fields, it's worse. It's under 30%. So we need uh, female employees in tech. You know, the ability to have a, a different point of view, the ability to bring, you know, skills that maybe women have innately, uh, and you know, the ability to impact our our industry is, you know, critical. It's critical. And so we support young women. We believe it starts early. We have, even at Adobe Now, we have women's programs. We just had this incredible program where, um, you know, women from 12 different countries put on a creativity show. I cannot tell you. There were women who are like brilliant opera singers, women who are photographers, women who are designers, poets. And it was an hour of just extraordinary talent. And there are a lot of women out there who have a voice and who need to be heard. So I'm a big supporter, and especially in tech, we're underrepresented. We're also very underrepresented in creative fields. Uh, This is the first year that two female directors have been selected um, to be candidates for um, an Academy Awards. First time ever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I support Sundance, so we support uh, female directors, up-and-coming film directors uh, through a fellowship at Adobe. I also personally support female directors and producers. We need to give women a chance, and we are doing a bunch of programs at Adobe. Uh, One is um, also with the black community, featuring black creators. We're doing a program for female creators. Give people an opportunity. Celebrate them. Everybody needs to be heard. So we we feel strongly, and I personally feel strongly. And I know you've been a big advocate for women and women's causes. And I've heard you tell women to be their own biggest advocate as well. I I, I know that you uh, um, practice what you preach. Uh, I have a quick story on that. When When I was at Intel, and I was, you know, probably three years into Intel, my job was head of employee communications. 
you know, team of one. And uh, one of my colleagues, a male, was leaving to go to enroll outside of Intel. And he whispered in my ear when he left, which was extremely generous of him, that he was making $37,000, which is an extraordinary sum to me. I think I was making $28,000. And he said, if they give you this job, you need to go in and make sure they pay you this. And so I interviewed, I got the job, and nobody came and told me I was gonna get a raise. <laughs> so I mustered up the courage and I went in and I said, hey, I, I'm really excited about the role, but I, I heard that it pays $37,000. And my boss said, oh, sure, of course, we'd be happy to pay you that. And I don't think there was any malice. I don't think they were trying to rip me off. They just didn't think about it. And so advocating for yourself is number one. Nobody's going to advocate the way you can advocate for yourself. And I know you have two boys, and I will uh, I will entrust that you've instilled that that same quality in in them. Is that true? I will, of course. And yes. you know, I think people think it comes more naturally to men, but I'm not sure. And so I tell them to advocate for themselves as well. That's great. I. I wanted to ask you a few personal questions. I, I hear that you're a big fan of television, which I find uh, uh, interesting. I'm curious, what, what are you watching and, and uh, what do you get out of that time that you spend watching TV? I watch a lot of TV and a lot of movies and I'm not ashamed at all. And fortunately, I went into marketing, so it's perfectly acceptable to watch a lot of television. Absolutely. <laughs> what, are you what are you watching? I watch a lot of different things. Um, I watch a lot of murder shows, and um, you know, this apparently is a is a female phenomenon. There was just an SNL skit on how women are just obsessed with murder shows. So I watch a lot of murder shows. I I watch a lot of football because I have two sons. Not right now, but during the year, I watch a lot of football. I watch baseball. I watch a lot of movies. I just saw Nomadland. Um, which I loved. I saw Minari, which is a Korean film, which is wonderful, highly recommend. And then I watch shows like Dickinson, and um, I'm watching The Sinner right now, which kind of is a murder show, but I watch dramas. I mean, I really, I'm getting down to like, you know, the bottom of the barrel now because of the pandemic and the slowdown in new content, but yes. I find things. That's great. Sports teams, uh, uh, st still root for New York teams, or have no. you left that behind? No. No. I was, I was a big Mets fan, and my dad was just a, an incredibly big Mets fan before I left, and I was a New York Giants fan, and, you know, I'm, I, as a little kid, I used to go to Yankee Stadium to watch the New York Giants play before the Meadowlands, but when I came out here, and I've been here 30 years, you know, I'm a... I'm a diehard San Francisco Giants fan. I'm a big 49ers fan. I'm a Warriors fan. And you know, having two boys, it's it's kind of important. It's a big connection, but now I'm like super into it and very competitive. I like it. I'm on a, a mission, uh, Anne, to, to get an Ann Luna sandwich at the Goose. I understand that in your uh, when you were in the office, you'd have a sandwich and a Coke every day. And I want to know what is the go-to Ann Luna sandwich so I can petition Tony for an Ann Luna sandwich at the Goose. I mean, I can't believe the Goose is still there, honestly. And, you know, I, I 
was just disgusting in what I would eat. You know, I had I had never had, you know, the gift of being able to have sandwiches delivered to my hall. <laughs> so I would order like ham and cheese and lettuce and mustard and, you know, kind of simple, but these were like long rolls. So I, there was no lack of eating during um, my time there. Now that I'm in California, of course, I have an avocado toast for lunch, but I always have a real Coke, like regular Coke. Regular no Coke. I don't know if I'll, I'll convince Tony to put avocado toast on the goose menu, but I will certainly, I'll certainly give it a try. Uh, my, my last question, uh, as a, um, a self-proclaimed audiophile a little bit, I, I know you said you wanted to be a roadie at some point, and I want to know, like, if any band, right, alive or, or, or dead or, or, or playing or not, for whom would you have, who would you want to travel with? Oh, I would pretty, I would pretty much go with any band. And if they asked me now, I would go now too. <laughs> that, you know, that would be my dream. Uh, I mean, I love classic rock. I, you know, would have loved to go like with Led Zeppelin <laughs> or, you know, The Who. Um, you know, but I like a lot of bands now. And, you know, I, I, I love Page the Elephant. That's, you know, a newer band. I would definitely go anywhere with them. So I, I would pretty much go almost with any band. Is music one of your creative outlets? Yeah, it's a big passion for me. It always has been. And, you know, marketing and, and, marketing, marketing and music are very intertwined. And so I have the privilege to be able to uh, meet a lot of bands, have, you know, a lot of bands do music for us this year. We did... Uh, a great partnership with Lady Gaga a couple of years ago. We worked with Billie Eilish. This year we're also working with Marshmallow. So music is very important to me personally, and I think it's very important in marketing. Well, um, thank you, Anne. This has really been wonderful. I have one one last question for you. It's not an original question. I, I find it uh, it's it's a little interesting personally to me, and I'll I'll ask you uh, quickly. Um, what do you know for sure? That's a hard question. I know that family will always come first for me and for a lot of other people. And I think we've seen that this year. Wonderful answer. Uh, thank you, Anne. You're a true uh, inspiration to uh, women and marketing and creativity and Lehigh, right? You are all of the things that we would want our Lehigh students to uh, aspire to. And uh, I know you care deeply about the institution, so much so that, as we said earlier, you sent your son there. You've trusted us with your most cherished asset. And for that, I say thank you. And, and for all that you have done and, and, and will do for Lehigh, truly one of our go-getters. And, and I want to thank you for, for taking part in this podcast. Thank you and go Lehigh. I'm Jack Luley, Iacocca Professor of Journalism and Communication at Lehigh University. And I want to thank our special guest, Ann Lunis, Chief Marketing Officer for Adobe. It's hard to put into words how proud we all are of Ann. Her great professional success with Adobe speaks for itself. But Ann is also a loyal and generous supporter of our department and the campus newspaper, The Brown and White. She's an incredible role model for our students, especially our young women heading into journalism. And she is a true and caring friend. It's a real privilege to acknowledge her here. 
And it was a great podcast. Special thanks to sound engineer James Plotkin, co-producers Aaron Firestone and Janet Norwood, and the Lehigh University Office of Development and Alumni Relations. Go inside the episode at lehigh.edu slash go-getters to learn more about Anne. Don't forget to subscribe to Go-Getters on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or your podcast app of choice. And please take a moment to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts so other listeners can find us.